welcome to the Gemcast. This is Alex Knight, and I'm joined by Aline Sims, founder of the Less Than or Equal podcast, and science fiction writer Kate Tempest Bradford. This week is a special bonus episode to cover our thoughts about the new Gem and the Holograms failed live action movie. So stay tuned for an action packed episode. I'm the only one who has seen the Gem and the Holograms movie. You are. Yep. And so it shall remain. So none of you are going to see this movie. Is that right? Why would I go see this movie, Alex? <laughs> I'm not encouraging it. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, no, I'm not. I'm not even going to watch this movie when it comes out on Skinamax. <laughs> It was interesting because, you know, Justin tonight was like, you know, what are you going to see the movie? Because I told him we would be discussing it. And I was like, no, I'm not seeing the movie. And he's like, but you need to. And I was like, no, no. I'm not doing this. No, no, you don't need to. Because first of all, I mean, I feel like we we called it when we talked about the trailer. We pointed out everything that seemed to be wrong with that movie from the trailer. And then there was all this whining from the Gem of the Holograms camp like, no, the trailer doesn't accurately represent the whole movie. We held some things back. No, you have to come see it. And, you know, that even though there were some things that weren't in that first trailer that like synergy, like that we did discover that they are in the movie. It doesn't matter. That trailer accurately uh, represented how truly awful that movie was. And I I can say that with authority because I read all the reviews. Let's just pause right there. I'm just going to give everyone the TLDR. I don't know how long this this episode or, or how long we're going to be talking for, but the TLDR is that everything that we talked about in that episode where we, we discussed everything wrong with the trailer, everything came true. All our most okay. horrible, deepest, darkest nightmares from the depths of Hades yep. have come true. Mm-hmm. Well, the misfits were in there. Well, let's let's not get ahead <laughs> of ourselves. We'll talk about that. So, just let, let's nice. let's just start. So, I think everyone by now, if you've seen the trailer, if you've read any of the reviews, you can get a sense, a good sense of the the overall plot of this movie. So, I'll, I'll try to give a sort of a high level summary. But it's essentially, I mean, let's just just start with the with the characters that are included. So, most of the characters that you know from the cartoon, at least the core group, obviously being Jem and the holograms, they are there. So, we have Jerrica, uh, we have Aja and Shayna and Kimber, and even what's her name, Aunt Bailey is there as well. Although her, they've changed. A few things, well, actually, quite a, quite a lot of things, but effectively, Aunt Bailey is the legal guardian for Gem and the Holograms, so they are um, they are taken in by her. But there are so many things that they have changed in terms of the backgrounds of the characters. But effectively, it's kind of like a coming of age story. I mean, it really felt to me like Pitch Perfect, sort of, and Josie and the Pussycats, sort of that that type of story. You know, uh, this group of people from a small town, and you know, these these young girls effectively go from being nobodies to being insanely popular overnight. And it all starts with a music video that Jerrica puts onto YouTube. And so it's really, it really has that social media aspect, which they, they emphasized it a lot 
probably uh, a, a lot more than I felt was really necessary. So that's kind of the world that that these characters live in is everything is based off of social media. That's that's how it seems like a lot of people get popular. So they kind of rooted that aspect of the movie in reality, right? Because you obviously, you know, we have people who have put videos up on YouTube and then suddenly they they go viral and they become insanely popular and they end up on the Ellen DeGeneres show. So, I mean, there's that angle. But overall, I would say that there really isn't a lot in this movie for fans of the cartoon. I mean, the only things that I recognize were some of the character names, but... I didn't really recognize a lot of the personalities of the characters. So that was that that was a big issue. I just didn't feel an overall connection to the show that I grew up with. And so I was hoping that there would be something at least for me and I I totally understand that they wanted to go in a new direction or at least I assume that that that's what, what the case was. I don't know about the two of you, but I heard somewhere now it could be totally totally incorrect, but I thought I heard somewhere that the director, I think he was John Chu, had a different vision initially, but he could only get a $5 million budget from the studio. The $5 million budget is true. It was linked in Charlie Jane Anders' review on io9 that John Chu originally pitched a much more faithful to the cartoon version uh, to the studios, and they thought it was too weird. Did it say anything about Hasbro's involvement? Because I can't see Hasbro coming back and saying, well, it's too weird because they, it's their property, right? Well, it, it doesn't really say, but here's the thing, though. Hasbro <laughs> Hasbro has never particularly treated Drum and the Holograms really well as a piece of intellectual property. The toy uh, the toy distribution and marketing of the, of the toy line was a total failure. It was, but I... There were a lot of factors that went into that, I believe, just from... Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying I know a lot of people who are very into dolls, very specifically 12-inch dolls like Barbie and, and whatnot, and who know way more about this than I do, so I'm going off of the information that they have given me. But from what I understand, the just the, the whole like world of 12-inch dolls is a very fraught market. You know, you have Mattel, and Mattel is the juggernaut because of Barbie. And, of course, Mattel makes also a lot of different, you know, 12-inch dolls. Like, they have, like, uh, I think they have the licensing for the Disney Princess line, and so they are they make, like, there's, like, Barbie, who's a princess, but there's also, like, regular Disney princesses, and, you know, just Mattel just has that sewn up a lot. And so, apparently, to, like, get into that toy line, into that that specific category is very difficult and Hasbro just never really managed to pull it off because I believe that Gem and the Holograms was like either their first or one of their very few like 12 inch lady dolls. And they, they really, I remember as a kid, them really going hard after Barbie. And even as a kid, I was like, why are you trying to mess with Barbie? <laughs> that's not going to work out for you. I was eight. I was like, that's not going to work out for you guys. And it didn't, but it, it seems like they, like they invented the gem dolls so that they could get into that market, but they did not fare well when they actually attempted to do so. So that is what I understand is the background behind that. Um, but then they just, you know, so I, I feel like Hasbro's involvement with this movie is probably as much as they were involved with any of their movie properties. Like they, they're the people who make Battleship, okay? And they're like, whatever. I mean, <laughs> the fact that they changed the Battleship game to include crap from that movie this tells you where hasbro's head is at hasbro is about making money and anything that has 
like the gem and the hologram's name on it, even if that movie flops, it still widens the intellectual property. It still widens the amount of licensing that they can do. You know, little kids could be wearing like gem and the holograms t-shirts and and sneakers, and there could be like little Thai beanie babies in the shape of synergy or whatever. So they don't. I don't think Hasbro cares if the Gem and the Holograms movie is true to the the spirit of the original or whatever, because it just means they could put more Gem and the Hologram stuff on other stuff. Like makeup. Like makeup. That's fair enough. I don't necessarily believe that that is the case with Hasbro. These are all wild assumptions that, that all of us are making. So we can't really possibly know what what's going through their heads, but I can only assume and give them the benefit of the doubt that they want the IP to be as successful as possible, right? My sense was just in order for the movie to happen by a big studio that Hasbro perhaps maybe had to go along with whatever demands that they had, they basically had two decisions to make. Either they can take the $5 million and concede with any demands that the studio has about how this movie's going to happen or not have it at all. So what would you rather have? A movie that at least spreads the, the name of the IP out there, regardless of whether or not you know it satisfies any fans or has any connection with the original show, or would you rather just nothing be made at all? So I guess they pick the lesser of two evils, perhaps. But again, that's that's totally my own theory. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. I just really feel like we give companies like as entities, like the whole of companies, the benefit of the doubt when they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They don't care. They don't care about the integrity of Gemini Holograms. They care about making money. And I'm actually looking right now at the article that was referenced on io9. It's actually another article on io9 where they interviewed uh, the director. And essentially, you know, he went and he pitched. He was like, let's do a live action Gemini Holograms. And Hasbro Universal were like, eh, we don't know. And then Justin Bieber happened. And then Justin Bieber's Never Say Never happened. And they were like, hey, we could do something like that. And, you know, it, it totally makes sense. Like, basically... The, the whole like first opening arc of Jem where, you know, she there's a video that she puts on YouTube or somebody else actually put it on YouTube for her, I thought, or maybe she, I don't know. Anyway, so she, this video goes up on YouTube and she becomes a big star. So what happens is Kimber uploads the video to YouTube without Jerrica's consent. And that's what happens. Right. And so then it's it's just like Justin Bieber where like he gets discovered and then like he becomes this juggernaut. And then, you know, looking at... uh you know, what what made Never Say Never so popular. The problem is, is that the story of Justin Bieber is interesting in and that it happened to Justin Bieber. But once you translate that into fiction, that is like some boring old story that we have seen too many times. Hello, a star is born. As you mentioned, Pitch Perfect. We already did Josie and the Pussycats. And even though John Chu said that like the the new idea for Jem was a story about a girl struggling with her true identity while her secret identity starts to become famous. I mean, do you feel like that's really that was at the heart of that movie, that struggle? Well, I, I it was definitely a, a big part of it for sure. I think it was the overarching theme of the movie. Do I think that they accomplished successfully what they set out to do? No. Yeah, and that it doesn't surprise me then. For one thing, I do feel like there is that aspect of the 80s cartoon where, you know, you have Jerrica struggling because she's like, everybody loves Jen. They're always screaming for Jen. They're not screaming for me. It's like, well, lady, if you had just stepped up in front of the microphone and said, hey, my name is Jerrica and I'm going to sing you a song, they might have been screaming for you. But fine, whatever. Like that. I feel like that's the other thing is that the, the struggle that Jerrica has with, 
you know, her and being Jim and people liking Jim or whatever, that is the internal struggle of all superheroes who have, you know, a secret identity. You know, they, at some point, every superhero that has some sort of secret identity has that moment where they're like, huh, why isn't like Clark Kent good enough, but Superman is. And Clark Kent knows full well why Clark Kent isn't good enough as Superman is. But, you know, you, just having that that identity struggle, like that that could be a very powerful motivator. But what I didn't like about what I saw in the trailer is that like the the arc of that led then Jem or Jericho or whatever uh, to basically betray her friends because like Erica Raymond convinces her that she should be a solo act or whatever the heck that was in the trailer. And I'm like, the entire point of Jem and the Holograms is that you don't do that. Mm-hmm. The entire point is that you and your friends are in it together. And if something bad happens to one of you, the rest of you rally around them and you all take care of stuff together. For me, like in the movie, that was the emotional climax of the movie. And I think what they were trying to convey in that, uh, they, they made the message pretty clear that you shouldn't do something like that. And Jerrica does regret it immensely and makes up for it in the end. But I agree that that's kind of like not what the show originally conveyed to the people that that watched it. And just before we get into a lot of the nitty gritty details about the movie, like the visual aesthetic, the fact that it didn't have holograms in it, the fact that they changed these character details that were important. Before we get into all that, I just want to say just a couple of positive things, actually. I liked how Jerrica Benton in this movie is portrayed as somebody who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence and she overall seems to be a really shy person so that contrasted nicely i think with the uh with her persona her you know youtube sensation persona of gem and she seems to inhabit that persona pretty well once she's you know once once erica raymond sort of you know picks up picks out her her wardrobe and says this is how you're going to look this is the the style that we're going to be going for she seems to embrace that persona well and in fact a little too well because it, it kind of like all goes through her head and i guess she feels at, at one point like i said the emotional uh, climax of the movie she she's backed into a corner by erica raymond in signing this contract that stipulates effectively we want Jim. We don't want the rest of the bandmates. The only reason why she does that in the movie is because her Aunt Bailey is uh, not doing well with her business. And I don't remember if they ever disclose what the business is, but that's completely n- not important at all in the movie. But the point is that that basically the bank is ready to foreclose on not only the business, but her house. So effectively the entire foster girls and everyone's going to be homeless at this point. So I can, I can kind of understand where Jerrica's coming from. Like, you know, what else do I do? Do I sign this contract and betray my friends or, or do I uh, take a bullet for the team, even though it risks alienating them, but it means that we have a roof over our heads because we're going to be getting a, a lot of money from this, record contract i that's realistic to me but again there's still that's that's okay uh that didn't upset me uh as much as the fact that the there there really isn't a lot in this movie uh that really connects with the original show and i think we should maybe talk about that a, a little bit because the entire uh, point of this movie i think well at least in the title alone it says on the poster gem and the holograms so 
I walk into the theater and after the movie's done, I'm like, this movie is not what it says on the tin. There were no holograms. (laughs) And so I'm sure everyone knows by now just by watching the trailer, but the synergy that we know and love as being a highly advanced AI that's able to produce these holograms through the this amazing technology that her uh, Jericho's father Emmett Emmett Benton created with the you know the starburst earrings which by the way the starburst earrings are in the movie but they don't do what they what they do in the show the so hell? you know they're 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 just there as an ornament but there's there's just nothing um so so the fact that it's weird that synergy has been relegated to this little tiny robot and you know throughout the movie she she basically goes on a scavenger hunt with with the holograms and so they they this robot basically leads them on the scavenger hunt to pick up these clues and find notes you know from one location to another that her father has led her and effectively like she picks up missing pieces uh for the robot and she ends up plugging those into the robot she gets another message from her father and effectively her father just ends up giving her this this you know emotional message about how you you know i always knew you were special and you know you could overcome anything blah 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 saccharin saccharin <laughs> wow. you know oh my god it, that just sounds ridiculous it's it's so bad it's so bad there's just it, there's nothing in this movie for a fan of the show and it, you know the I, I just as as the movie is concluded i'm just going to jump ahead quickly uh just because we're still on the topic of the fact that there are no holograms I'm like, what are they going to do? The title is there. It says Gem and the Holograms. So are they just going to call themselves the Holograms and that's going to be it? But no, near the end of the movie, Christy Marks makes a little cameo appearance. And she talks to Rio and she's like, oh, yeah, this band's really great. Well, you know, what are you going to call them? And he's like, uh, he looks at the band on the stage playing and he's like, Jim. And then he like with a twinkle in his eyes thinking about it. Then he looks at Synergy, the little robot. And we see we cut to the robot who's generating these really pathetic, tiny little holograms, like nothing flashy at all. And he's like, Jim and the holograms. Wow. Mm -mm. I do love that no matter what continuity, Rio is still the worst. Oh, yeah. He's a bit of a dick in, in the beginning of the movie, but that's another thing. Uh, let's talk about that because well, talking wait, about wait, like a I major a question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so do they explain what happens to her father? Or is it just like... No. Okay. No, he's just he's dead. We, I, I mean, I, I assumed that That's maybe he got. Yeah, I, I assumed he just he got some kind of disease and died. Young. Yeah, I wonder. Just because the the whole scavenger, the the whole scavenger hunt thing is weird without context. At least listening to you talk about it, um, because it's like. If he died in a car accident, then did they regularly have scavenger hunts or? No. Well, the thing is, at the beginning of the movie, the the robot doesn't work. Like she finds it and it's like dusty and it and it's 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 non-functioning. And so. This robot ends up like activating at some point. Um Oh God, I'm I'm already forgetting now because this movie is so forgettable. I can't remember if it was the starburst earrings that do something. Uh, I apologize, this is not going to be accurate, but basically really the robot comes in. alive. The robot comes alive at some point, 
And, um, you know, she's slowly trying to pick up the pieces to see what this special message is from her father, right? Um, and the robot projects, like, so I think some point in the middle of the movie, the robot projects a holographic version of her father. And, and her father gives her this last, like, sort of message, um, you know, it's, it's just like life lessons and garbage like that. So all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's so dumb. And, you know, the the core things that, you know, we would expect from this type of movie, like the dynamic between Jerrica and Rio and the tension of not knowing who she really is. Like, not know, the fact that Rio doesn't know that Jem and Jerrica are the same person. You know, the entire premise that, that's set up at the beginning of the movie is just, it rubbed me the wrong way because... Uh, first of all, there's Emmett Benton doesn't own Starlight Music. It's owned by Erica Benton. They changed the gender of the character. That doesn't bother me at all. I don't care about that. Jerrica Benton, actually, sorry, not Jerrica Benton, Erica, Erica Raymond uh, is uh, re- very reminiscent of the Eric Raymond from the show. She's obviously, obviously very business savvy, shrewd, aggressive. What are her eyebrows like? Sculpted. Does she belong to a secret crime family? (laughs) I don't know if she does or not. But uh, I thought Juliette Lewis, who played Erica Raymond, did a did a good job with what she was given in the movie. So that that was okay. But the fact that like Erica Raymond is is the owner and and founder of Starlight Music was just totally totally wrong to me. Rio, by the way, Rio um, is uh, Erica Raymond's son in this movie. What? And he's the rightful heir what? to Starlight Music, although uh, she hasn't she hasn't told him. Okay, so here's burn the deal. Everything down. Rio's father in his will stipulated that Rio was to take over the company. This co- this this legal document is locked away in a safe that's in Erica Raymond's office, and she's kept this from her son because she wants to run the company. Now Long story short, Rio obviously uh, finds out, figure this, figures this out, and Erica is ejected from Starlight Music. But the fact that Rio already knows who Jem slash Jerrica is, it's like there's no tension at all. There's the romance, everything but the romance isn't as interesting because the thing that made it interesting was that love, that love triangle between uh, Jerrica, Jem, and Rio. And so we don't get that. So that it's so disappointing that way. Everything about that is just full of no. I just I feel like I really wanted I I need to build a time machine and go back in time and snatch John Chu up and sit down and have a talk with him and be like, "Look, son, like I, you may only have five million dollars for this, and I know that you direct music videos and you think that that makes you qualified to direct this, but let me tell you something: it doesn't make you qualified to write it. So let's rewrite this thing so that it's not so horrible because you can't do that." And, and, you well, know, John Chu didn't write the, the screenplay. It was written by Ryan Landels. I don't. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, look yeah, up his credits here. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just saying it doesn't matter. Like somebody need to snatch up John Chu, like four years ago, and be like, "No, let's let's do this right instead of doing it wrong." Mm-hmm. Um, See, the, the movie yeah. only had. Uh, they only had a five million dollar budget, and to be honest, at, me as like a creative person, I would have been like you know what, we just, we simply cannot make the movie we, we want to make for $5 million, so we're not going to do it. Like, it's 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 well, one of those things. It's either or. I'd rather not make the movie than make something that 
doesn't please anyone. It's a mediocre movie as it's as it stands, and the fact that it just alienated all of the fans basically means that you've got a failure out of the box. You know, when I went to see this on opening night, there were four people in the theater. Four. That is sad. That is so sad. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the $5 million budget, though, is even partially or mostly responsible for all the things that are wrong with this movie. I mean, like, no, just from... it's not just the budget. Right. Like, first of all, it's the entire story of this movie. Like, the entire concept for the story of this movie is bad. It is, you know, once again, it's the whole, you know, oh, she's, you know, she's comes from nothing. She rises to fame. She betrays her friends. She realizes that she was wrong. So they come together. Everything is better at the end of the day. And even if you throw in the whole like, well, she has to sign the thing because uh, otherwise they'll lose their house. And da, da, da. it's like, you know what, though, that's like it doesn't matter because that is such a false like I'm the writer and I decided that yeah. this is what the conflict is going to be kind of thing instead of it actually coming out of anything that makes any sense like that that is what that is but and once again i point out that like this goes against the the entire character of the the tv series because the fact that eric jerica gets to that point at the end where she's like oh yes i realized that all i all i ever needed was my friends that's where gem and the hologram started and i actually feel like really up in my like feminist anger about this because there are there are a million and one stories about girls who think that they can, you know, or they betray their friends for whatever reason and then realize that their their female friends and, and the friendship that they shared or whatever is more important than material matters or blah, 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 whatever. There's a million and one stories about that. Why can't we have stories where it's just a given from the start that you're not going to betray your friends, that you mm-hmm. already understand the value of the of the women that are around you, the smart, talented, capable women that are around you. And instead of like having to learn that lesson, starting from that point and then moving forward through whatever plot you have going on, because that's really what Gem and the Holograms is. You know, they have a couple of rough patches. There's that time that Kimber ran away and that other time that Kimber ran away and had a lesbian <laughs> relationship. And, and when there she was, was a, kidnapped and nobody and, noticed, really. Well, nobody really cared. But, um, you know, and there's even uh, a point where Shayna, you know, like, has has a conflict with the group and, and she runs away. But for the most part, that cartoon was about how you already understood that the women who were your best friends and your sisters were the women that you could count on. And you were not going to, like, flit off and betray that. And I think that's what makes me most angry, mm-hmm. other than the fact that Rio is Erica Raymond's daughter, son. Couldn't Jerrica <laughs> have shopped around to other record studios at this point? Because they're already hugely popular. Somebody else must have, you know, or somebody else must have been interested in, in snapping that group up. But I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's the fact that she's really, really young and immature and not experienced and she's being pressured and, and she's she's been her back's up against the wall at this point because she's no, like, no, no. Here's Bailey the thing that explains it. Bad writing, bad, yeah, bad I mean, writing to to kind of piggyback on what Tempest has been saying. That's kind of our cultural narrative, right? Like women in our culture, according to what we're told, we can't value our friendships until they're completely effed up. And then we're like, oh, it was so much better before. My life was so much better before I alienated everybody. And like nobody, nobody in popular media, no girl or woman in popular media is like, hey, 
I recognize the value of these people. This is amazing. You know, it's just, it's automatically like, this is the narrative that we get so frequently is, nope, women are incapable of appreciating good relationships until they completely screw them up. And then, then they have to go. Yeah. And then they have to, they have to have that moment of crisis where they're sobbing on the couch, thinking about everything that's gone wrong. And then they have to go back to their friends and it's just, eh. yeah, I'm not trying to defend. I'm just trying to see if there's, if, if there are anything, if there's anything in here that we can, you know, I'm I'm trying to surface any good parts of this but i'm I'm struggling there are um, parts. and of course you know zipper is a major character in the show at least for a while before they don't you know they decide not to use him anymore <laughs> Does zipper he is he's in prison <laughs> zipper is in prison right zipper is eric raymond's uh right hand man and his goon for hire basically in the cartoon now in this movie zip we do get someone named zipper and he is kind of this like tough looking guy and stuff like that but again they decided they they just couldn't keep their grubby little hands and off of the source material they're like ah we need to fiddle with everything so they made zipper this tough guy that was like effectively erica raymond's bodyguard but he's not like a hired thug that that you know, goes around planting bombs and and tries to sabotage things. He's just like her security guard, and he's he's like this for most of the movie. And by the way, spoiler alert: at the end of the movie, after Erica Raymond is ejected from Starlight Music, Zipper is in in the crowd while Gem and the Holograms are on stage performing, and he's cheering and rooting for them. So Zipper. Would never do that in the cartoon. They what just even happening. That change just his terrible. character. It's so bad. No sharks either. Everything. There is are the no worst. robotic sharks in the movie. Well, perhaps okay. it's largest flaw. Well, that's of course. Um, I want. I want to read something. I, there are two excerpts I really want to read from this Ionara review, but I only read one at this time because I actually want to get your take on this, Alex, since you actually saw this. Um, but this is uh, Charlie Jane Andrews. She excoriated this movie. It's amazing. But she says, uh, whenever the movie reaches one of its rare moments of drama and conflict, suddenly a YouTube video of people randomly having a drum circle or beatboxing or breakdancing gets intercut with the action. And the soundtrack of that video becomes the soundtrack of the scene. So it's like when Jem gets feebly angry or assertive, the beatboxers or drummers are expressing Jem's emotion. Or maybe Jem is powered by the collective emotion of all the people posting amateur videos on the Internet. It's hard to say which. In either case, this movie outsources its biggest moments of narrative intensity to random YouTube vids, which is a filmic choice so incomprehensible. I'm tempted to interpret it as some kind of grand statement of Dada anti-meaning. Like, there's no functional difference between this studio-produced Hollywood movie and some incredibly rough, totally uneventful YouTube video because both things are just meaningless successions of images. What yes you- <laughs> yes to all of that i uh i didn't think about it that way when i was while i was watching the movie but it just seems so random and just kind of shoehorned in there for the sake of let's let's show let all these video clips of fans uh that are uh people that are fans of jim 
by the way, I don't know if those were actors or just because they they looked like amateur videos. So I'm not sure if they if they were just. Um, I, I'm not sure if that was part of the initial viral marketing campaign where they asked I people. Think it to send, was. Yeah, yeah, they did. Like, those yeah, are it actual, just seemed like, like what does this have to do with the movie? And it it was weird to me because. Um, it's, it's plainly clear in some of those clips, people were wearing like eighties gem shirts with like the original cartoon logo and like a cartoon picture of like gems face. I'm like, why is that even in this movie? It doesn't make any sense. Why is, why is the cartoon world leaking into this live action version that has nothing to do with it? Like, it's weird. Pandering. It's it's pandering and but it's it's nonsensical. It's just it's dumb. It's probably they really hope that those people who were ch- in the chosen videos would bring all their friends to the premiere of the movie. They'd be like, "I was in a movie about Jam." Oh. Yay! Oh god. So we talked about uh, we talked about how there's not a lot of connection between the show and uh, and the uh, and the movie in terms of the characters and whatnot. Obviously, there are no holograms in this movie, which is even more disappointing and uh what else what am i leaving out there's just the misfits aren't really in it maybe we can talk about that the misfits are relegated to an after credits scene which actually made my day and it was the best scene in the movie not just because the misfits were in it i realize i'm biased and i like the misfits but it was the best scene because they seemed so much like the characters from the cartoon and just, uh, I don't know if the, that scene is leaked online, if you've seen it, but basically the scene, it's really short, but Erica Raymond, after being ejected from Starlight Music, uh, pulls up in a car to this really disgusting looking, like abandoned warehouse. And uh, she 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 shows up and it's and it's the misfits. It's um, it's pizzazz, Roxy, Stormer, and I believe... Jetta was there as well and they looked the part uh they were as far as the visual aesthetic goes i would say there was somewhat of a, a hybrid between sort of a punky goth kind of look which was really cool they seemed to have the attitude and uh there there was one line it was a bit corny but i i felt like they were just kind of it was an afterthought they were pandering to the fans and i don't know if they added this scene after the movie had already wrapped but uh, there's a line where Pizzazz actually says, um, our songs are better, we're going to get her. I'm like, okay. It just so, seemed it, it seemed weird that, that she said that, but I mean, it was the, definitely the best scene in the movie for sure. We were chatting with Alex before he went to go see this movie. And I remember Alex saying, he was full of hope. He was, you were so full of hope. It was and cute, really. It was, it was adorable. And you said something like, well, you know, they said that like not everything was revealed in the trailers and whatever. And they said the misfits are going to be there. And, and I said to him at the time, I was like, what do you want to bet? They added, you know, elements, specifically the misfits, but probably other stuff. Like after the entire backlash against that first trailer was so vehement and people were like, where is Synergy? Where are the misfits? How do you have, how do you not have these things? I mean, even William Shatner tweeted, where are the misfits? Like William Shatner knew. (laughs) So all these people like had this really vehement reaction. I was like, what do you want to bet they shoehorn some crap in, you know, uh, before they went to final production just to like appease those people. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's going to show up in the movie. And lo and behold... The Misfits in an after credit scene. What can I say? I'm an, I'm a, I'm an optimistic person. I, I was try, You know what? I think it was partly just out of desperation. I wanted so badly this movie to be everything that I had hoped and dreamed. But uh, 
Yeah. I am a, a big firm letdown. believer in the fact that trailers tell us everything we need to know about movies. There has rarely, in my experience, been a trailer that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about a movie. And that's because that's what they're designed to do. You know, even if the trailer, like so many trailers just reveal too much about the plot of a movie these days, but even when they don't, trailers are supposed to to tell you like what it's going to be like to go see that movie and get you excited about it. The things you're going to see, I agree. you know, the, mm-hmm. the tone that it sets and whatever. And that trailer was accurate, you know? And so for all the whining that they did after people reacted badly to the trailers, like, you know what, if, if you're, if you really seriously put out a trailer that didn't accurately re- represent your movie, then you're bad at this and you should maybe go home. Um, and, and it just, it astonished me that they would try to play that card. You know, like they knew that they had made a mistake. They knew that they had made a giant mistake. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm w- almost wondering if, had they taken just like a, a few seconds of the clip from the end in the movie with the misfits, if they, imagine if they stuck that in the trailer at the beginning, people would have like blew their heads wide open. Like they'd be like, oh my God, the True. misfits, they look just like the ones in the cartoon. Like, so. I'm almost wondering, even though it was like an after credit scene, if they had they had they put that in the trailer, maybe they would have been able to get more people into the theater. Maybe, but other seeing, yeah. Mm. There's uh, not much else to say, to be honest with you, about the movie. It's well, just I, so bland. It is so bland. So but bland. I do want to hit on one thing though, and then Aline is going to hit on the thing. I just know it. She's been waiting this whole time. Um, but I want to, I want to talk about one issue that, that came up. Um, so the, the woman who plays Shayna, the young woman who plays Mm Shayna in this movie, um, her daughter is Harold Perrineau. Uh, and he is pretty famous for being like in the matrix movies and he was on Lost, and he's been in a bunch of other things. So when the, when the casting first came down, I remember seeing some people being like, what is up with the fact that Shayna is like super light skinned and whatever. Cause you know, right. in the people cartoon, said she wasn't black enough. Right. In the cartoon, she's, you know, she's dark brown skin. Um, so I remember that. But then after the movie came out, Harold Perrineau like wrote a piece for, uh, where did he write? I forget, but he posted a, uh, an opinion piece uh, on the rap.com. That's where it looks like he actually published it where he was basically yelling at the internet <laughs> for saying that his daughter is not black enough to be Shayna and saying that, you know, people have been saying horrible things to her on Twitter and she's gotten death threats and whatever. And I know you said something about John Chu getting death threats too. And all I can say to that is, you know, there are always people who are willing to throw death threats around on the internet. Um, I don't think that any of those people are ever people who are actually going to have like a, a, civil conversation about anything so i i tend to be like let's put the let's let's set aside the fact like take care of those death threats but let's not involve them in the conversation as if they are actually part of a conversation instead of just people being like gross bullies on the internet so anyway so you talk about like how these people are yelling and they're saying oh you know this that or whatever he's like but my daughter is black she's my daughter and she's black and i i wanted to write a letter to harrow Perino and be like i understand how you feel these people are attacking your daughter and that's never cool. And this is probably one of like her first forays into like really high profile acting and, and getting response back from people who are like very involved fans. And so it, it's not a great feeling. I recognize that, but I think that it is also not okay for him to have 
ignored the fact, ignored the role that colorism played in her casting. And I feel like we need to have like that discussion needs to be had. Yeah, like um, a like a like the general sort of consensus. A lot of people feel that the, there's this like whitewashing of Hollywood, right? And right that that. Uh, but yeah, it is to me. It is a, regardless of whether or not that person is a good actor and whether or not she'd be able to portray Shana. Because I think she did a fine job. I'll just go ahead and say it. Like as a sort of they they did capture the fashionista aspect of her character, and you know mm-hmm. you see her on a sewing machine in the movies. Like great sewing machine making stuff. Yes, perfect. But. It doesn't like I just feel like if you're going to cast someone for this character that has a very specific look, then you better find somebody who not only has the chops, but fits fits the the profile of that character. Otherwise, you just didn't do your your job in casting. Right. And and quite honestly, I don't know what their casting process was for for getting all of these women to play these characters. But I can tell you right now that if there was a young woman who auditioned for this role, who looks like what Viola Davis looked like when she was in her early 20s and late teens and did just as good a job or better in that audition, she would not have been cast over this girl. Because Hollywood, whenever they're like, whenever they can see, they're like, we're, we're going to deign to go ahead and let a black person be in this role portraying a black person, you know, or any other person of color. We're going to let a person of color portray a person of color, which doesn't happen a lot. But whenever they deign to do it, particularly with black women, not as much with black men, particularly with black women, they always, always, always choose light skinned women. Mm-hmm. And you know, this uh, Harapano's daughter, she's half black and half white. So her skin uh, has a very light tone. Her hair is straightened. And let me tell you, yeah, like this she is, needed the purple afro. Right. Like th- it's a big deal that her hair is straightened as opposed to natural because Shayna, for all that was wrong with race in that show, Shayna had her some natural hair and that was revolutionary. OK, mm-hmm. that's just something that you didn't get to see even like on real TV in the 80s was was mm-hmm. ladies mm-hmm. with their natural hair. So Shayna had natural hair. She did not have natural hair and she's super light skin. And she, I, I cast no aspersions on her as an actress. She is uh, yeah. probably a fine actress. But let's not pretend that she didn't get that role in part because she is a light-skinned black girl yeah. with straight hair. It does seem problematic to me, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I've noticed that a lot of African-American musicians, particularly women like Beyonce and I'm drawing a blank at other names, but a lot of them seem to, they dye their hair blonde and they try to go for this really, like it, to me it comes across as like I'm trying to be a white girl. It well, is, it's complicated. And one thing to remember is that our beauty standards in the United States, well in Western countries, even not even Western countries, it's kind of a worldwide thing, you know, except for pockets here and there, but, but advertisers and popular media have done a great job at setting the standard of beauty to be blue-eyed, blonde-haired, skinny women. And I'm trying to think, I've read a couple of articles by women of color who talk about the pressure that they've they've had placed on them for, you know, having straight hair, you know, and the things that they've gone through, like chemical relaxants, burning their scalps and, you know, things that I'm sure Tempest can speak to far more you know, accurately than I can. But like that right now is something that I think that people are just starting to wake up to, you know, that white is not the only way to be pretty. Like straight hair is not the only way to have pretty hair. And um, it's a big problem. And it's not just black women. It's I, I like there are plenty, plenty of white actresses who 
who don't actually have blonde hair, but they'll go and dye their hair blonde. And I see it so often. I just feel like this is like an epidemic. Like, why are people doing this? It's got to have something to do with like the Our expectations the that casting direct the pressures mm-hmm. from casting directors. Th- this is the aesthetic that we want, which really it just bothers me immensely. Our culture is the worst. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, case closed. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. I watched the trailer. I. We talked about it. I didn't even read coverage about it because I just once Alex went on, you know, opening night and was like, yeah, it's pretty much what we thought it would be. I was just like, yeah, I don't I don't need this in my life. And then that's when I went and and read all of the comics all at once. (laughs) I took a bullet for the team. That's for sure. Because, oh. I really wanted you my, did, uh, and you know what? We appreciate it. You do so mm-hmm. much for us, Alex. Really, <laughs> do you work really hard for us all the time? And I feel like we don't appreciate you enough. And so, I no, feel like you do, you do. We thank you, thank you for going to see that horrendous trash heap of a movie. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I this is one thing I I didn't mention earlier, but the pacing and the runtime. My my word, this movie is two hours. Two hours. And not that I have a problem necessarily with a two-hour movie. This garbage fire was stretched out (laughs) to two hours. Okay, so I went and saw The Martian instead of this. And it was a pretty good movie, but it was still too long. I don't have a problem with two hours, but the movie, the pacing, if you're going to do a two-plus-hour movie, the pacing has to be impeccable. And this movie is so far away from that. In fact, actually, at some point halfway through the movie, I started falling asleep. There's one more thing I'm going to throw into the discussion, but I don't know how you feel about this. There's a scene in the movie where just after finding, I think it's the the first clue, the first or second clue, doesn't matter. Gem and the holograms, they're, they're sitting on the beach with Rio, who's accompanied them. The holograms just start breaking out into song. Rio joins in and he can actually sing. How do you feel about Rio being a singer? No. So Rio's much, so much wrong with that. He's <laughs> a stage manager for God's sakes. He's not there to sing. No. He's not there to sing. Get out, Rio. I feel he's like there to be. He's there to look pretty and be a jerk. He didn't even have purple hair. No, I know. So bad. This is terrible. Well, look, I'm. I'm going to read. This is the last bit of Charlie Jane Andrews' review on IO9. I feel like this is a good. This is a good summation of everything that we've just talked about. She says, "As it is, Gem of the Hologram stands as a new low in the long, terrible catalog of movie versions that miss the point of their source material." And it's sort of fascinating that the Transformers films, for all their innumerable shortcomings, managed to at least contain cars that turn into robots and a few other key elements, while Jem, from the same company Hasbro, is basically stripped of all its defining characteristics and turned into generic fluff mixed with, quote, relevant Instagrammy. Hasbro, Drawing- you... You had one job. You one, had one job. job. <laughs> Put holograms in the damn movie. Draw your own conclusions about why Transformers, aimed at boys, gets a semi-respectful adaptation while Jem, aimed at girls, gets bastardized. Especially mm-hmm. given that Chu originally pitched a faithful version of Jem and was shot down because it t- sounded too wild and crazy. 
Cars that turn into alien robots equals not crazy. A girl pop star who uses holographic disguises to maintain a secret identity equals crazy. The main characteristic of Gem and the Holograms is a terrible, soul-numbing blandness that accurately replicates the feeling of watching a few dozen amateur YouTube videos. The girl power of the original has been replaced by a kind of denatured internet power, selfhood by consensus. You should drag your children to see this movie only if you wish them to come away understanding your contempt not only for their intelligence but for their very personhood uh, i recommend everyone read that piece and, and you should send me the link so we can put it in, into the show notes for everybody i almost feel like whoever made this decision whether it was a collective decision or, or an individual at the studio it almost makes me feel like the fact that there's this double standard that yes you know cars turning into robots equals totally acceptable but and not crazy but you know a girl that has holo- these holographic um, technology like and turns into this superstar is it almost makes me think that it, like this is just that that typical double standard where like we can only sell it to boys if it has explosions and and transforming cars into robots but but a girl with holographic technology no 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 little girl's gonna want to see that right it won't make sense they won't understand it yeah they won't understand holograms little and girls, to me it's it's just technology this, it's this tone deafness, like whoever made these decisions had no effing clue about what that show was about. And even Christy Marks actually said, by the way, there's a, I'll link to it in the show notes. There's a video on YouTube that was recently done. The channel is called The Front, and they, they only have a few videos on there, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's called Off Hollywood. Christy Marks, uh, creator of the original Gem and the Holograms. And she actually says that initially when she heard about it, she heard about it at the last moment, like she wasn't consulted and she was she was pretty upset that nobody talked to her about this movie. So my suspicion is that even though she has a cameo in the movie and they paid her, I don't think she would ever come out and say it. But judging from what she says in this video, she I, I would I can only assume she is not satisfied or happy at all with what they did with this because it really it just it's basically an f you to her creation i hate these people i hate them did either of you have anything else to add the only thing i'm going to say is this you know as i said earlier i feel like hasbro doesn't really care about the quality of this movie or whether it's good or anything because all it does is just it increases the chance for them to put you know to, to do licensing and to put gem and the holograms all over everything but Maybe, maybe now we get a new cartoon series. Well, let's let's wrap it up. 